Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. With me today is Todd Churches. Welcome to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. Thank you, Joanne. I, I don't drink martinis, so I didn't know if I qualified for this, but um, I have two of the three, so I think that's pretty good. You, ha- you have two of the three. Actually, um, in what I realized afterwards is that not everyone does drink martinis, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. You could, you could listen to this with a cup of tea if that is your beverage of choice. Okay, it's great. really more of a euphemism for what just like makes you pause and just say, okay, I'm going to yeah. take a moment now. So. Got it. And I'm all about metaphors, as you know, so to me, it's, it's totally fine. I know, I know. We're going to talk about metaphors a little bit. So we have so much to discuss around your new book, which is Visual Leadership, Leveraging the Power of Visual Thinking in Business and in Life. In Leadership uh, and in Life. And in leadership and in life. I'm yes. sorry. That's there okay. you go. I probably made a mistake. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but I loved it. And I, I loved right. the fact that you brought your life into all of this. But before we start that, do you remember when we first met? I vaguely do. Um, you can refresh my memory if you'd like, so I don't... Uh... So one of the many things that I found out, well, after the book, reading the book, I found out so much more that I have in common with Todd. But one of the things that we do share is that we both teach at NYU. And I want to say this was back in 2015, or maybe 2014. I was, I, Maybe 2014. And we shared a classroom. I had a class that was ending at 5.30, and you had one coming in afterwards. And for whatever reason on the scheduling, they hadn't given you hadn't get put in too much time in between. Mm-hmm. And you were kind of upset with me because you wanted to come in and prep the class. <laughs> <laughs> and it became a little standing joke with my students because my back was to the door and they would be, Professor, uh-huh. he's standing there again. I said, well, you've got two more minutes. So, yeah, so yeah. That, that, wasn't your, that wasn't your fault or my fault. I'm, I'm a big preparation and I'm a big early guy showing up early preparation. So I try to get to my classes an hour before. So I, I, everything I do is strategically planned. Every seat in the classroom, my music, my pre-class music. So it was not your fault. I know you had every right to be there, but uh, I th- we'll, we'll attribute it to NYU's short shortage of uh, of rooms that of uh, led to that. Because my class started at six. So um, yeah. So anyway, that that. Uh, it was, it was pretty funny, but the, yeah. it, it is funny that you say that because I'm the exact opposite, and I think it comes from starting my career selling radio advertising, mm. where I just always had to pick up on a dime wherever I was. Yeah. So um, I'm not always – I do prepare, but not not to that yeah. extent. Yeah. And I so, don't know if you know that I started my career at Ogilvy, Ogilvy and Mather buying network TV time, so I was a media buyer. I know that. And then I yeah. thought, I wonder if I ever actually called on him back <laughs> in the day. It, it occurred to me because I called on so many people. I learned so much about you from reading this book. Mm-hmm. And at the time that we met, I had no idea how much we had in common, yeah. including being big fans of Seth Godin, mm-hmm. stints at CBS, although I was in the radio division and you were in the TV, yeah. and um, also having a long list of horrible bosses. I love that 
hashtag BF, uh, BFH, Bosses from Hell. Yeah. I think you can do something with that to promote the book on social uh, media. I have that, and I also have PTBD, which is post-traumatic boss disorder, which is like the <laughs> shell shock we get that we never get over from having a horrible boss. And my, my book is dedicated first to my wife, secondly to my parents, and third to all the horrible bosses I've ever had without whom <laughs> this book would never have been written. So in that way, you know, trying to turn lemons into lemonades, it wasn't very fun at the time, but now I can look back and laugh. Um, although I few of them I would hate to see again in the dark alley. So <laughs> I know I started thinking after I said that about the long list of horrible bosses, I'm wondering if any of them are ever going to find this podcast and, uh-huh. and listen to They probably knew what, the, what I thought of them at the time. Mm-hmm. But we also are both from the same lovely borough of the city of New York, Queens, yes, true. which I didn't know. Can, can you tell us about what it was like growing up in Queens and how if, if it influenced at all in the direction you've taken? Sure. Well, my, my father was from Brooklyn. My mother was from the Bronx. I still have a little bit of an accent, so listeners may pick up on that. But uh, so I, I they when they got married, they moved to Queens. And so uh, I grew up in Queens with my grandparents uh, on both sides, all, both in Queens. So everyone was within a 20-minute drive of each other. And uh, I grew up in Hilltop Village in Queens Village. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a great place to go, grow up. I went to PS135. Um, Pub, which was public school 135. Yeah, I had a great upbringing. We moved to Long Island when I turned 12. But yeah, my formative years were spent in, in Queens. Right. And there you go. I went to I went to high school in Queens Village. I went to graduated from Martin Van Buren High School. Mm, that's where I would have gone if uh, if we had stayed there and not moved. So and yeah, I had a great we, upbringing. We used to play stickball in the streets and football and, and, and roller hockey and things like that. So yeah, it was a good place to grow up. And now you are the CEO of Big Blue Gumball. I love the name. Talk about a visual that I have in my head on that. Is there some story behind behind the name on that? Well, my brother and I, uh, my brother's my business partner. Um, we, we Years ago, during the dot-com era, we actually came up with an idea for, this was way before Facebook. This was when the globe.com first came out, like the early days of, of the internet. And we came up with an idea for a, a hub for singles, where um, it would basically be for singles parties, um, discounts, and, and social aspects gatherings and everything and we came up through brainstorming with the word with the name big blue gumball it represents the world it's a glow it's a like a globe the, the earth the world is like a big blue gumball however you want to see it. it's basically a metaphor so we didn't get funded we came just a little too late people said if we had come along angel investors came to us when we were talking to them and said a year earlier people have been throwing money at you to fund your startup because it was so great at the time but we missed the so anyway, we put the, the name of the company in mothballs. And then years later, when it was time to start our company, we took it out again. And so it represents the world. So, so however you want to um, describe it, the world is like a big blue gumball. It's hard on the outside sometimes, chewy and, and sweet on the inside. And from there, it's up to you to, to, to take it however you'd like. I love it. I love it. So you, we already mentioned metaphors twice. Can you talk about, you might as well talk about that now because I was going to mention it later, how that fits in with this whole idea of, of visual leadership. Sure. Well, a big part of communication is using metaphors and analogies because we say something is like something else to describe it. In fact, when I worked in the TV industry, uh, so I was on the, uh, at Disney, I, was a, I worked for a writer-producer and we would come up with ideas for shows and pitch them to the networks. And then when I was at CBS, we would take pitches from producers. And all, most of the pitchers, pitches were something, it's kind of like this, like and, um, the, uh, the show um, 
uh, Miami Vice was pitched as MTV Cops, right? So it's kind of it's a cop show combined with MTV music videos, and that became Miami Vice. So I a lot of and I was as a as an undergraduate, I was a English literature major with a concentration in Shakespeare and poetry. So literature and use of literary language and metaphor was part of my upbringing upbringing in my mindset and then throughout my career i saw that people talked in metaphors and analogies all the time this is kind of like this to explain things so um a big part of visual leadership is what metaphors do we use to communicate and my mantra is how do you get people to see what 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 you're saying so a big way of doing that is through using metaphors so big blue gumball is a metaphor um and uh yeah so we could talk about that a lot but it, it metaphors what they do is simplify complexity they make the unfamiliar familiar make the abstract concrete make the invisible visible so it does all of those things to help you get your ideas across so other people can see what you're saying yeah i love that what you said about getting people to see what your what your idea is but you you don't always you're not necessarily referring to a picture that you're putting in front of them am i correct in that yeah, there's two ways. One is um, getting people to see what you're saying, and also getting people to see uh, to hear what you're saying um, visually. So you could you could show someone a picture or a diagram or a map, right? That's one way. So you're actually visually taking in information through your eye, but you could also take visual information in through your ear through the use of metaphor and through storytelling. So I know you're big you're big on storytelling as well yes. and personal branding and and how do you get people to know who you are and what you do? A big part of that. So it, it isn't always visual literally but it's visual metaphorically in terms of how do you get someone to see in their mind's eye which is a term coined by shakespeare in hamlet when he was talking about the ghost of his father he didn't know if it was a, a real apparition or a figment of his imagination he said i see my father in my mind's eye so how do you get people to see how they could use your product or service in their mind's eye that's a big part of you know what marketing does as, as you know yeah, no, that's great. I love it. I want you to know that your book inspired me to go get a sketchbook. <laughs> that's great. And, and, and a brand new set of colored markers. And I actually, when I was planning out what I wanted to ask you, I started sketching it out and, and then it got a little messy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought I better, write it. Yeah. I better print all this stuff yeah. out or this could be a complete yeah. disaster. Um, but it doesn't have to be, uh, but just one thing, it doesn't have to be a, a work of art. It, really, it literally is how do I download what's in my brain onto paper? So it doesn't, it's like, it could be through doodles, mm -hmm. napkins sketching um you know stick figures it really doesn't matter but the key thing is once you do then you can see it and then you could create your list or then you could kind of put it in order but um i love that you're even like thinking in that in that direction now which is great no i, I I'm, I'm i've got it right next to me right here so i can see all the colors i think yeah. i got everything on this other piece of paper so i don't forget mm -hmm. where i am yeah. um you talk about how everyone is a leader and and i agree with you 100 percent. but i'm not sure everybody who's listening would agree with you could, could you could you talk about that a little bit yeah, actually, I hadn't thought about it in a while, but I attended a symposium um, years ago, about probably like eight years ago when I first started teaching. I started teaching at NYU in 2011, so it's been a little over 10 years now. So earlier on, there was a symposium of professors who taught leadership in all the different schools, so social work, nursing school, Stern, and we had this big debate discussion between um, – Leadership with a capital L, like you're only a leader if you're a vice president, if you have a title. So if you're a CEO, vice president, or run, run a company, you're, you're a leader. And then there was the small L leadership camp, which I fell into, which was that everyone's a leader in one way or another, even if you're just leading your own life. Stepping up to leadership. There's a book by Mark Sanborn, You Don't Need a Title to Be a Leader, um, How Anybody Anywhere Can Lead Anytime. So I, I subscribe to that philosophy of, um, you know, look at all the people right now with the pandemic and, and you know, 
grocery clerks, um, nurses and doctors, everyone, you know, people are stepping up to lead and, and, and impact people's lives, regardless of what your official title is. So that's the way I approach things. And in fact, in my class last night at NYU, I started by saying, just for curiosity, raise a show of hands. How many of you here are leaders? And like hardly anyone raised their hand. And I said, by the end of tonight's session, I'm going to ask the same question and you'll all be raising your hands because we're going to redefine what leadership means. And then there was a sense of pride at the end when I asked and everyone raised their hand saying, I am a leader. So when you start with that, you know, the, you know, the possibility, possibilities are unlimited. Yeah, no, that's so funny because uh, in my social media class, I always have to start the semester requiring them to read Seth Godin's book, Tribes, which talks mm-hmm. about leadership. And the response I got was, I never really thought that we are all leaders, yeah. now, especially in today's world with social media. Yeah. Um, and I love you- Tribes, but Lynchpin of his books, Lynchpin is the one I keep on my shelf and reach for all the time when I need inspiration or just to, so I've read I don't know how many of his books because it's hard to keep up with him. He's so prolific. And his blog posts every single day, seven days a week. Um, but uh, yeah, Lynchpin. I love Tribes. But Lynchpin is, is my go-to Seth Godin book. Yeah, he's got a new one coming out apparently called The Practice. I've already mm-hmm. pre-ordered it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we'll see. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny. He's, he definitely knows how to build a tribe, that's for sure. Yeah. So h- how would you define visual leadership? Yeah, well... Um, we could talk about this for hours, but the, in, in a nutshell, <laughs> which is a metaphor, by the way, not a literal me- n- nutshell, um, visual leadership, it's spelled um, visual leadership with one single capital L in between. So it's like a shared L between the visual mm-hmm. and the leadership. And the concept is that who you are and how you lead is inseparable from the lens through which you see the world. So your culture, your upbringing, your education, your life experiences shape your paradigm and your vision and how you lead and your values is resulting from your life experiences. So you can't separate who you are and how you lead from how you see the world. That's one part. The other part is when I ask people to call out the first word that comes to mind when they hear the word leadership, vision tends to be, if not number one, then number two or three. And we talk about what does it mean to have a leadership vision or for someone to be a, a leadership visionary. It's about seeing the future. It's about seeing in your mind's eye possibilities, um, a, a future that's different from and better than the current reality. And, and it's about, as a leader, how do you get turn that vision into reality? So all of these are different aspects of, of what visual leadership is all about. And just there's a new component that I've added recently, which I call flipping the eye. On the cover of the book, there's a rainbow-colored eye, which mm-hmm. represents diversity and inclusion in all its forms, as well as creativity and innovation. The concept of flipping the eye is in two ways. One, it's flipping it around to look at yourself, your values, who you are and how you are as a leader, and self-reflect. And the other one raises the question, can you see the world through the lens of other people who are different from you? And do that with empathy and compassion. And that relates to everything going on, people suffering from the pandemic or social injustice or the economic crisis. Can you be uh, see the world? Um, someone said we're all in the same boat, and then someone else countered with we're, not, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. Some people are in a yacht, and other people are in a sinking rowboat. So I love yeah. that metaphor and that analogy. But again, all of this kind of falls into that conversation around what visual leadership is all about. Yeah, you have got you've got some really. Um, I don't want to use the word great necessarily all the time, but there's some real life case studies that are going on right now during the pandemic about what leadership looks like and what it doesn't look like. You could yeah. probably you could probably do a second book on that one. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> I need a little break in between. This one took me ten years and uh, to finally do it. Hopefully, the next one won't take as long. But I think I'll just relax and enjoy this one for right now. Um. You, there's so many gems in this book. I, I like to me, there were 
mini life lessons that are certainly things that um, I have said in my life. And I say certainly to my students all the time, you know, act as if, if you want something, say something, Mm -hmm. you know, I I say, if you don't ask, you don't get, but it's the same, same idea. When we're standing still, we're falling behind. I'm a big believer in that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Staying in jobs just for the paycheck, that one really hit home, especially with my last corporate job. The reason I was there. So do you, is there, do you have any favorites? I may sound like a crazy question and, but are there any that you really would love like like to talk about right now? Because there's um, so much in there. That's like I asking mean, someone which of their children. That's like asking someone which of their children is their favorite. Um, <laughs> um, I'd love to hear your favorites. I'd love to hear which ones resonated with you. I mean, uh, it's it's about it's divided into three sections: basically visual models, visual metaphors, and visual stories. And what's interesting is how different sections resonate with different people. Like my mother read the book, and she said, "Oh, I thought it was just going to be a business book, but I loved reading every single story because it is personal." Mm-hmm. And I do write the way I speak. So many people have said that to me. It's not like an a- academic or a traditional business book. It's literally I write the way I'm talking right now and the way I teach in my classes. So. Um, few people have commented that they enjoyed like hearing my voice. What's interesting is the audiobook version just came out and the guy who read it, really nice guy, I finally met him. The publisher picked him out. I was not involved in the audition, but it's like Mr. Movie Phone. So he's like, when I was a child growing up in Queens, like no one who ever grew up in Queens ever talked like that. Right. (laughs) So right there, I was like, all right, you you could have at least gotten someone with a Queens accent. Um, So it was was weird hearing someone tell and read my own, my stories in their voice. So that's a little surreal. My wife hates it. She's like, turn that off. I don't want to hear this guy. So even though it's a very nice guy who I've connected with on a Zoom call recently, um, it's just weird hearing your your stories told by by someone else. So yeah, which it, ones jumped out at you from your record? Yeah, no, I, I'll tell you that in a minute, but I will tell you that I actually will not buy an Audible book unless it is the author reading <laughs> yeah. it. I got yeah. into that because I had that happen, and I find that I'm ol- I only enjoy the audio version if yeah. it is the author, and yeah, I can like- actually hear them speaking. You know, it was like 777 film, which just reminded me of the days of calling up to find out what time a movie was starting. I know. Well, you're dating both of us right now. So <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's people listening are like, what in the world are they talking about? Not what was you, movie, as, what was movie as, fun? As baby boomers, we speak the same language. So. I know. I know. I know. Sometimes which is part of the visual leadership thing, right? It's, it's speaking the mm-hmm. language of millennials, of people from other generations, genders, cultures, right? We need to. I once mentioned, so I once asked a question and no one in the class said anything. I said, it sounds like si- Sound of Silence in here. I said, does everyone know that song? No one knew it. I'm like, I said, Simon and Garfunkel? They thought that was a law firm or a consulting firm. There was like literally no name recognition there. And I'm like, uh-oh, I'm talking about dating myself. No, so. I, that happened to me last night. The Grateful Dead came up and I'm like, and they were looking at me like, who are you? What? And I'm like, yeah. well, maybe your parents or maybe your grandparents. I mean, yeah. I was, and the Grateful Dead is still around. So I, yeah. I'm not, you know, I guess yeah. that's not it. But that's the big part um, of what I write about is like, can you speak the language of your of your audience, right? Mm-hmm. Of Tell stories, use examples, metaphors that resonate with them. For example, I once said, I, oh, I, so I was repeating myself. I said, I'm starting to sound like a broken record. And I said, does everyone know what that means? And a lot of our students are from China, from India, from other places. And one of my students thought sounding like a broken record had something to do with breaking an Olympic record, like and winning a gold medal. She had never experienced this, the feeling of a record album with the needle stuck in the groove uh, for all eternity. So that metaphor of sounding like a broken record does not resonate to someone who's never listened to a vinyl album. So it's like we forget those things, and we need to be more aware of the language we use if we want to communicate effectively. No, I know exactly. I, I had that happen in class. I asked them to evaluate. This is early on in my teaching because I'm much better about catching myself now. And I said, I wanted them to evaluate, and I said, hey, see if it has any legs. Mm-hmm. 
And I had this, you know, lovely, very polite young gentleman from who was from China who said, I'm sorry, professor, what do you mean has legs? Yeah. You know, it just, it made no sense to him whatsoever. Yeah. And I was like, okay, wow, you gotta, you gotta pause on these things. I think the thing that really resonates with me right now um, is when we're standing still, we're falling behind. Mm-hmm. I'm, um, I'm a big believer in lifelong learning, no matter what age yeah. you're at. You know, yeah. I look at some of these, you know, role models that are out there now in their 80s and 90s, and they're still learning and and they're still seeing what's what's in front of them. So I think that's probably the one. The one that hit me home was about staying in jobs for just for the paycheck was mm-hmm. definitely a reason that kept me in corporate America longer than. I probably would have stayed. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. A lot of times we have no choice. It's like when I, I my one of the one of my favorite stories and, and chapters, not favorite experiences, was my boss who threw a box of pens at my head because they were the wrong ones. Um, at I won't say which TV network I was working on, but I had a C, a B, and an S in its name. Um, she <laughs> lost her mind. It's like at the and just instead of just saying, I say I tell my students that story. I'm like when we're talking about delivering feedback effectively. I'm like I don't know. Can anyone think of any other possible way to handle that situation if someone gave you the wrong thing other than throwing it at their head? I said so I'm at a loss. Like let's see if anyone else. Let's brainstorm and see if we can come up with any other possible solutions but that's like you know working in dysfunctional companies with and cultures um that at the time people got away with that kind of thing that they probably wouldn't get away with today and um you know and bullying bosses it's a a real sore spot for me because i was bullied as a teen even though i was tall i was like the the nerdy bookworm kid who got his books knocked out of his hands in the hallway so when it comes to bullying whether it's with kids or bullying bosses that's really that's one of my triggers that really sets me off so a big part of my mission to make the world a better place one leader at a time through better better uh, bosses and better leadership ha- is rooted in the fact that i was so poorly managed and badly led throughout most of my my career yeah, I, I had some good bosses, but I had some gems too. I had yeah. one who I had just gotten promoted right right at 9-11. Like my first official day in my new position was mm-hmm. was um, 9-11. And mm-hmm. so I was managing, after that, I was managing both jobs. And I literally had, he came in and asked me which of my jobs I was failing at the most mm-hmm. today. And this is two weeks after 9-11, where, you know, yeah. everyone was just like, what's going on? Where are we? So yeah, there's yeah. that we could, but I don't, a lot of that stuff, it's harder for it to happen anymore. I think, at least I like to think it is harder yeah, for it to I happen. I still hear horror stories. One time I, I forget if I wrote this, I always feel what's in my book and what's not, but I was sitting in a diner in Midtown having lunch and there were three booths right next to me, across from me, and all three of them, everyone was complaining about their bosses. This one's an idiot, this one's a jerk, <laughs> this one's incompetent. It's like, it's, I think it's just pervasive because, again, we could talk about that for hours, but so many people are promoted into jobs. Oh, you're our top salespeople. You're now our sales manager. Mm-hmm. You're our best IT person. You're now the head of IT. It's uh, managing and leading is a completely different skill set, talent, different. So, and most, a lot of people don't get, you know, developed or trained to be in that kind of role. They're good at what they do. So that's, uh, you know, it happens in sports all the time, right? Great athletes get, you know, become coaches or managers and they, don't necessarily succeed. And there's a million examples of that. Yeah, that's for sure. So um, can we talk about how how we get people to see things? I mean, you talked about the use of metaphors. Um, I think it's really important to have a conversation because I think people get so caught up in a fancy PowerPoint deck and they think that that's going to actually do the trick and it doesn't necessarily do the trick. 
Yeah, if you look at the best PowerPoint and best presenters, people like Seth Godin, people like um, like Steve Jobs, it's like there's minimal text on the slides. One of my roles at NYU, and I think you do too, a faculty observation and mm -hmm. assessment, and it's it's amazing to see what happens in the classroom because there's so many people who are subject matter experts and brilliant and great at what they do, but teaching is another skill set, and a lot of them are teaching the way they were taught. There's a lot of bullet point, that death by bullet point. PowerPoint slides up on the screens where they're just using it as their notes or their teleprompter. They're not using visual slides and imagery. So they haven't learned to do that, or they're not even aware of it, and they don't know a better way. But um, I see that all the time, both in corporate presentations and in the classroom, where people are still using really bad slides. And you know that that's a big thing. A single image that you could talk... I've, I've, a number of session uh, modules in my class is a single image that's up there. And we dissect it and we we discuss it, or it just serves as almost like if you're a TV anchor person and that image that's above their shoulder. That's the equivalent because if you put if you put the the, the transcript up there, that's what people are going to be reading. They're not going to be listening to you, and I think a lot of people battle against their uh, visuals as opposed to using it to support them and uh, with them being the the, the focal point. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely you're you're so right. So there's so many great exercises to try in this in this book. I I I, I got the Kindle version, and then I was like, I really should have gotten yeah. the hardcover because mm -hmm. I think this would be a much. And I will suggest that to anyone listening who's going to buy the book that I think this one you need to buy in paper because you're going to want to put little sticky notes um, in between. Um, one of them was the passion skill matrix. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that? Sure. I think it might I think it's particularly timely too for um, as we're all, at least I am, and I, that's probably why I have a podcast now, but so many of us are in this period of reflection as we get through the pandemic. Yeah, all my models, and that's one of the ones, every model in my book is an original of mine. I didn't include, I was going to include like some of the classics like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and and and. You know, five dysfunctions of a team and others. But I decided I had enough of my own models, and one of them is the passion skill matrix. And I use that. It's the most popular one, both in my classes and, and workshops, also with, um, with my coaching clients. Because basically, so here's an example. I'm using a, um, um, in an auditory way, I'm painting a picture with the model. So if you picture a four-box matrix with the two axes, one being passion from I hate it to I love it, and then along the bottom is skill from I'm terrible at it to I'm great at it, and the upper right quadrant is your sweet spot. That's when you're doing things where you're great at it and you love it. You're in the zone, you're in the state of flow, you can't believe you get paid for doing it. That's, what, that's that box. The upper left quadrant is your growth zone. You're, you like doing something, you have an aptitude or an interest, but you're not great at it yet. And the word yet, just like with Carol Dweck's book Mindset, uh, about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset, it opens up the world of possibilities. Here's something I have an interest in, I want to learn to get better at. Um, that's the upper left quadrant. The lower right is you're good at it, but you don't like it. Maybe you used to and you're burnt out or tired of it. Um, and that's the box that people look to you for. You're the go-to person or the guru of that. So, for example, as an English major, people always ask me, "Oh, Todd, can you proofread this for me? Can you edit this for me? Can you?" <laughs> so I became like the go-to guy for that. So just because I was good at it doesn't necessarily mean I want to do that all the time or for anyone. So that's the default zone. People to look to you to do that by default. Um, and the the other in lower left is the failure zone. That's where you're not good at it. You're terrible at it. You don't like it. 
may even hate it, and you feel trapped. So couple of ahas. One is if you're spending a lot of your time below the line in the default and the failure zone, you're most likely not going to be engaged or happy in your work because you're, by definition, you're doing things that you don't like or love. Um, if you're above the line, that's where you want to be spending at least 80% of your time. We can't spend all of our time in that area because there's always aspects of our jobs that we don't love. But if you're doing something in the failure zone, maybe you can outsource it. Maybe you could learn to love it or learn. Sometimes we don't like something because we're not good at it. And if we got better at it, we would like it, dislike it less. And <laughs> so you can turn, like for me, to be honest, I know I talk fast and loud because I'm from New York, but I'm an extreme introvert. So for me, public speaking was something I was terrified of and terrible at. And I was once thrown into a situation where I had to do it. And I said, you know what? I wasn't that bad and I didn't really hate it. And little by little, I inched my way up from the failure zone into the growth zone. And now it's a sweet spot for me. So we're, And it's cyclical too, because so just because something's a sweet spot, you could lose interest or lose your skills. Like you said, if you're not changing and growing, you could drop into the default zone or even end up in the failure zone. So it really is like a cycle. But in a nutshell, how did I do describing that model in, in like under... 90 seconds. You did you did really well and <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm thinking I I you do talk fast. I do too. Yeah. I I think that's one of the things that teaching has really helped me to do teaching international students is to really try and <laughs> slow it down. I know. I'm still working on it. In fact, I have a snail shell uh, a sna uh, that I keep on my desk right here. I'm holding it in my hand as a reminder. It doesn't work, but I still keep it here just in case. But especially when I'm, I'm excited about something that mm -hmm. it's like it goes it's I'm in fast I'm in fast forward. Yeah, there's so um, much to say and so a little time. So you, your book comes out about leadership in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what's that been like? I mean, like real, I, it's, I can't even imagine because you, if I were you, I'd be so excited. Simon and Schuster was your publisher. Is that correct? It's a big deal. Well, to be honest, what's interesting is this. First of all, my first reaction was panic because all my book signings were canceled, my keynotes. I was supposed to do a big keynote in Denver and followed by a workshop, and they bought 100 copies of my book. Um, that was canceled. The good thing, I got paid in advance for that. So I always try to get paid in advance. If you take nothing from this, try to get paid in advance if you can. So it was rescheduled for spring of 2021. So I, I owe them a workshop and a keynote and 100 books. Um, but what's interesting is as we transition from the in person world to online, between Zoom and social media, I think my reach and exposure and visibility has been far exceeded what I would have achieved in person. So I actually benefited in many ways because I've been on podcasts in, with people in Australia, um, in, uh, in Hong Kong. I've done three in London so far. None of these probably would have happened if people weren't home and and if we were all are, weren't living on Zoom and, and, and LinkedIn. So in some ways, I've actually benefited. I've made connections. I got some great endorsements. I didn't get Seth Godin. He did email me saying, I apologize. I'm not going to be able to get to read your book and I can't endorse it if I haven't read it. So we have, we've had like five emails back and forth and same thing with Adam Grant. He couldn't do it, but I have Dan Pink. I have Marshall Goldsmith, Nancy Duarte. So I have some really nice name thought leaders in the field who've provided blurbs for my book. So that's been great. Dory Clark, who I love, um, posted a picture on LinkedIn with herself holding my book with a little, with a little blurb. Um, shout out so that was really nice so again a lot of these things this visibility and uh, you know we're living online right now so i think it's it wasn't the worst thing that's ever happened to me to be honest that uh the fact that it came out at this time no you know it, you're absolutely right though because even as we were scheduling this when you were telling me what your schedule was and i was like okay i i can do that but i have a class tonight at 6 20 uh-huh 
But of course, you know, I don't need the amount of preparation. I don't do a whole hour of preparation, especially for the one that's coming tonight. Yeah. But I would never have been able to do this at this time. We would have been looking at next week. Yeah, yeah. You not traveling. If I, had, if yeah, I yeah. had to get on the subway right now and go into the city and that in alone is, you know, you got to give yourself an hour beforehand. So it does open up, it opens up every, everyone's time in that respect too. Yeah. And I, I think um, actually from what I read too, and I will say this to the, whoever's listening, it's also, again, it's not just about leadership. It's, it's life lessons, kind of like your mom said. So there's something very inspirational about it, um, which I think is really important right now in this particular, I think it's always important to, mm. to, find something that's going to inspire you and get you to think a little differently, which yeah. is, I think it's just a necessary aspect of how we get through from where we are now to, I, I hate saying the new normal because mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure what normal means anyway, yeah. but um, I call it the next normal, if anything, if, if we're going rather than that. So yeah. I think that that's really, um, really important. Um, what's been keeping you sane in these crazy times? Or have you just been too busy with the book to even think about that? Uh, there. First with my wife. So luckily, this is a real test of relationships. So luckily, we <laughs> love spending. We we I'm, I'm coming to you from Fairfield, Connecticut today. We're in the house that my wife grew up in that we inherited from her mother, who's now in an independent living apartment not far from here. So we were so lucky and blessed to have this house, rather because we used to work at home in our little tiny one bedroom apartment in Manhattan, elbow to elbow at his and hers computers, and I couldn't imagine living. We would each get my wife's a casting director, so she would go out and do auditions and things like that. But um, now, being at home all the time, if we didn't have a little space, we would really be, uh, you know, because I'm on Zoom calls and as I said, I talk loud and fast. So we, we, I don't know how we would do that if we were in that apartment. But one thing that keeps me insane, keeps, I almost said keep me, keeps me insane. I don't know if it was a slip. Um, but I actually, because we're in Connecticut, I got a basketball hoop that I put up in front of the house. So I actually go out and shoot hoops, which I'm going to do right after we're done while it's still light out. Uh, I shoot hoops for about a half hour every day. So I used to play on three softball teams in Central Park, but this year, no softball. So I needed to find a substitute. So my basketball skills have improved drastically. I'm shooting better than I've had in 20 years. So that's more than anything. That's what's kept me sane is my wife and my uh, my my new, my new re-love for basketball. Your re-love. And people don't know this, but Todd is tall. So yeah. and he, and he grew up in Queens, so the basketball thing makes total sense to yeah, me. It's absolutely. like a great, a, a, a good uh, Queens guy. Um, is there any leadership advice you want to leave with our um, listeners to keep themselves steady in these challenging times? Uh, I mean, there's so many, and one one of them that uh, my this my teaching partner Jeff Schwartzman, who was my colleague and then my boss and then we teach together at NYU one of his sayings I don't know where he got it from but he said don't measure measure yourself against your own yardstick like you're always trying people are always comparing like if I compare myself to Seth Godin or Dan Pink I'm <laughs> gonna feel like a failure right because they're so yeah. prolific and brilliant but if I compare myself to myself I achieved a goal of writing my book and did my first TEDx talk last year I, I was supposed to do my second in May that was canceled and postponed till next year because of the pandemic but all of these things that were on my own personal development list, um, I, I'm chipping away at and, and doing podcast interviews, all these things. And hopefully I'll start doing more. I just signed up, joined the National Speakers Association. So I'm trying to shift my career from more from training, being a leadership management trainer to doing more public speaking, keynotes, panels, and more consulting. And uh, with my book and the TEDx, that's kind of helped me transition. So, but again, I'm, I'm competing against myself. So that's what I would say is like, 
it's good to look to other people as role models and say, what do they do? What are some of the best practices? And what are some of the things you can emulate? But it can be very discouraging and depressing if you compare yourself to people who are way ahead of you uh, or so great. Like, I can never keep up with Seth Godin, but he inspires me to try. So, you know, that's saying, you know, shoot for the stars. And if you land on the moon, that's pretty good. Like, that's kind of my mantra is like, just keep pushing myself. And like you, being a continuous learner and every single day i watch ted talks or i jump on uh different webinars and i'm always trying to learn new things and see what other people do and see best practices and worst practices to see what's going to help me improve for myself wonderful so everyone should get a copy of this book visual leadership leveraging the power of visual thinking in leadership and life did i say it right this time yes perfect thank you joy I, I think when i was going from my from my sketch pad to my other piece of paper i i miswrote before and no i'm worries. assuming it's on amazon and every place that you, anything any place you can go yes, get it. yes it is. and what else where else can they find you i know you have some you have a new website We'll put all of this in the show notes as well. Yeah, so my new website just launched, toddchurches.com, C-H-E-R-C-H-E-S. And you can feel free to sign up for my newsletter and also download, there's a, a PDF of my top 52 visual leadership resources. So um, a lot of people always ask me for that. So I made that a giveaway. Um, and so kind of give you, it's in the book as well, but it's also a downloadable PDF if people want to have a checklist of what else should I be reading. That's, that's something that's right there on my website. And again, feel free to link in with me. I live on LinkedIn half the day. So I'm always engaged and, and, and chatting with people on LinkedIn as well. Yes. And as someone who teaches social media and does this stuff for a living, you do a very good job on LinkedIn. Oh, thank you. I appreciate um, that. Yes, thank you, Joy. You, you absolutely do. Okay. So thank you so much, Todd. Uh, it's been absolutely a pleasure. And I, again, great. I think everyone should read, should read this book. There's just so much good stuff in it. And it's um, I learned a lot more about Todd from it. And who he's all about and what he's doing. So all good stuff. This was fun. Thank you so much, Joe. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. This show would not be possible without my incredible creative and production team, Nadi, Cherry, Anthony, and Wah. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note, info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember, whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there. <laughs>